Welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, I invite a guest to share their experiences of being a black or brown person in white spaces. I'm not your superwoman. There have been a litany of songs and poems and other uh, forms of arts that have really spoken to the strong black woman phenomenon. People talk about it being a feeling of obligation to present only an image of strength or an obligation to support emotions, resistance to being vulnerable, a drive to succeed despite limited resources and feeling an obligation to help others. Some even talk about it being a part of the gender role socialization process for little black girls around flexible gender roles where today we are going to get into it. Our guest has a lot to say about this topic. Dr. Deirdre Chester is the agency science advisor of the USDA Animal and Plant Health Inspection Services, APHIS. She provides leadership and coordinates the science across the agency on plant and animal health. She's just completed her first week with APHIS, Prior to joining them, Dr. Chester was the national program leader for applied nutrition research in the Division of Nutrition, Institute Food Safety and Nutrition at the Institute of Food and Agricultural, USDA. We know them. In a previous role, she was instrumental in identifying emerging issues of national importance, program reviews, and grant management in the areas of nutrition. She has worked extensively with a number of inter and intra-agency projects and programs with the FDA, NIH, and the CDC, including Let's Move, yay, Michelle Obama, the National Collaborative on Childhood Obesity and Dietary Guidelines as a federal expert and the Federal Expert Work Group. Dr. Chester holds a Doctor of Philosophy degree in Nutrition from Florida International University where she was awarded the McKnight Doctoral Fellowship and was the inaugural class of the Gates Millennial Scholars. I love that so much when I read that. She holds a Master's of Science degree in Food and Nutrition Science and a Bachelor's degree in Nutrition and Dietetics from the Florida State University. In her spare time, she can find you can find her gardening and taking long walks in her Baltimore neighborhood. She's an avid international traveler and the mom to one fur baby, Jake a very energetic situ. Daughters, please welcome my guest daughter today, Dr. Deatra Chester. Woo! and rounds. Hello. 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 I am so excited to get into um, this conversation today. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, as I was prepping for today from my psychological hat, uh, I was thinking about this from a pathology place. Um, and I, I think that's true, but I, I really had some shifts for myself this morning when thinking about the strong Black woman phenomenon, so I'm excited to hear what your thoughts are. So why don't we just start with telling us briefly about your journey to Dr. Chester and who you are now and about being the dot in that journey. So, you know, my journey... Um, I always say it's very interesting um, just because 
as a high school student, I was very interested in science. I, um, if you would have asked me, I said, I'm going to be a medical doctor. And then I went to college and I was like, that's such a long time. I think I'll do nursing. And then the next thing you know, I was into nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was because it was my passion for food, for community, for teaching people about nutrition. But one of the things that I will say is that um, sometimes I look back and I say, wow, I have a PhD in nutrition. Um, and I I say that because my journey was not always straight. Mm. It wasn't always easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very fortunate to come across really some strong Black women mm. that mentored me. And I think if it had not been for those mentors in my life, um, I definitely would not be where I am today. So, and and I take that um, very seriously, mentorship, because I too am a mentor. Sure. And I think that um, at the end of the day, it really is about taking what someone did for you to get you to where you are and making sure that you in turn do that for someone else to get them to where they need to be. So it wasn't always easy, but, you know, I think for me, it was just sticking to it and getting to the mm-hmm. end and getting the PhD and then making a difference once you um, have gotten that degree. Well, and I, I think that that is just a separate pro tip that we won't even take an offering for. But I think it's very, very important that um, so much of earning an advanced degree uh, is is about tenacity and stick to itness and grit, that they don't let you in the program if they don't believe that you have the capacity to complete the degree. And so that's established when you come in the door, hopefully. And and so then at that point, it really is about, can I walk out this journey to complete it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that that's really important. So tell me a little bit about what you, when you think about what you learned about being a strong black woman growing up or the strong black woman phenomena syndrome, whatever you want to call it, um, yeah. framework schema, um, what, what you learned about that and, and what you even saw growing up? So I think for me, um, I know that at the surface, some people look at the strong black woman as someone who has to sacrifice mm-hmm. someone who has to just be beat up along the way um, and then still hold it together. Uh I was really fortunate to meet what I consider strong black women that said, that ain't it. You don't have to take everything that someone gives to Mm -hmm. you. You don't have to be in that space and think that you represent every black person. Um, And I think for me, that was very free Mm. because what, what it, what it signified to me is that, To be a strong Black woman is really to know exactly where your place is in the world Mm. and to really have um, in your mind what it is that you need to accomplish and to do that. But making sure that you know that you don't have to be the model, you don't have to show anybody, well, this is what being a Black woman is. When when darts are being thrown at you, you don't have to take on those darts. You are free to say, no, I'm not doing that. 
we're not playing that game. And so what we will be is we will be respectful to each other. So I think that sometimes the persona of a strong black woman, people just see it as, well, you got to sacrifice a lot and you got to take it all on and you got to take care of everybody. We don't have to. That is not being a strong black woman. Being strong is taking care of you mm. so that you can then take care of your responsibilities as you navigate the world. That's beautiful. So I think about, I was fortunate enough to know your mother on this side of heaven. Yes. And yes. when I think about Miss Ann, I think about a strong black woman. Yes. And so what did you learn from her and maybe the aunties uh, yes. about this whole thing? You know, I was just so very fortunate. Just the fact that you say you knew my mom, to know my mom was just to love her and to really see her strength. You know, um, my mom was a single mom at one time. Um, she was my biggest cheerleader. She taught me so many things about life. I think the most important thing that my mom taught me about life is just to be myself. Mm. And I think that a lot of times young black women are not taught that it's okay to be who you are. You don't have to change you don't have to fit um, a mold. You can truly be who you are. And, you know, I come from what I consider a family of strong back Black women on both sides of my family. And they have been the women that have poured into me that have always let me know that I am enough. Mm. And I think that what, what we could do for young people is just let them know that they are enough. That they don't have to, you don't have to do something spectacular to be enough, that you are enough. Exactly how you are is enough. And I I was just very fortunate to have, you know, my mom who, my mom was my, when I say my mom was my cheerleader, I mean, she was just the voice of reason for me, for me to just be able to pick up the phone and talk to her. And and I, I want to set the tone. I have a PhD, but my mom didn't even go to college. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for her to for her to have had so much wisdom for me as I was going through the process um, and being able to really pour into me and to make me stronger as I went through the process and always letting me know that you are enough and you can do this and you will do it was something powerful coming from someone who hadn't even had that experience. Sure, sure, sure. It, it's, it's interesting because as I hear you talk, the De, Deidre, Dr. Chester, all of that, uh, that I, what I'm cognizant of is that you are not carrying this notion of having to always be strong and having to always even appear strong to, that that, that is not something you carry. And, 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 and so I'm trying to, think about this some and like wondering, is that generational? Is that because it certainly is something that I carry. Um, and I think generationally, that's true for me. Mm -hmm. You are, how, how old are you? you just turned 50, right? Yes. I, yes. I, and so, sorry, I didn't mean to tell your whole business. Uh, oh no, that's okay. All right, that's good. <laughs> and so we're not that, 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 um, that different in age necessarily. I'm 53. Yeah. I'm only a few years older than you. Um, 
But what have you seen? I'm wondering if you could share how much of this other piece of it have you seen in other women of the the, um, need for perfection and, um, yeah, that kind of thing. I see it so much. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes it really, it it makes me sad sometimes Mm. um, because I do see it so Mm -hmm. much. And, you know, I have girlfriends that confide in me about, you know, just the need to be perfect and the need to raise the kids right and the need to um, be this way when they're in certain circles of people. Um, I think for me, um, you know, I look at this as a blessing. Mm. You know, I look at my mom. My mom didn't go to college. She wasn't in a sorority. Um, She didn't She wasn't in circles of women like she wasn't in Jack and Jill and not to say anything about those organizations. But I think for my mom, she didn't have this thing to live up to. Mm. My mom moved to Florida. Um, I was born in New York and my mom moved to Florida. Um, My parents moved to Florida together and my mom didn't really because, you know, she was an outsider. She was a New Yorker. Um, She hadn't had a lot um, of some of the struggles of living in the South as a Black woman. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say that it's very different from New York. It was just a little different. Mm -hmm. So when my mom came, it was kind of like, she was kind of like, take it or leave it. You know, if you like me, you like Mm -hmm. me. If you don't, that's fine too. And my mom actually fostered amazing friendships with with women that I still consider um, my aunties to this day, that they embrace my mom. But I think there is something about um, being in spaces where you don't have to fit a mold and you don't have to try so hard to be long. And so that's kind of, I would say that that's kind of how I have approached life. You know, I'm in a sorority. Many of my friends will say, you in a sorority? You don't act like it. And I'm always like, well, what does that mean? And you actually are (laughs) in the finest sorority in the land, I might add. Yes, yes. But I think it's because there's an expectation. Um, And I'll I'll tell you another thing that I um, think is very interesting. Um, I went to the same church for probably like, 10, 12 years. And every now and then someone would say something and then they would say, you have a doctorate? Oh, I didn't. Really? I didn't know that. Well, why haven't you ever said that? Because that's not who I am. And so, so I think that there is something beautiful about being in spaces and not having to say that I have a PhD or I'm in this organization, but really being in spaces and saying, I am Deirdre Mm -hmm. and that is it. Mm -hmm. And that is enough enough. for me to be in Mm -hmm. this space. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I always hope, and I, when I mentor young ladies, I always say, you have to be okay with you being enough Mm -hmm. without the titles and the spaces that you've been Uh Yeah. So that, so I I would say that that is the one thing that my mom and my aunts have really given me um, because they just were. So my sense, and I don't know how true this is, that in your work life, 
mm-hmm. that that you have been the dot or one of few, and certainly even in leadership now. Is that the case? Yes, it is. And it is. So how do you think uh, the strong black woman pieces impact your work life? What's your sense about that? If at all. So I would say, you know, I'm in a new position where I'm I'm just enjoying this new role. Um, I have been supported. Um, I'm in a space where I am allowed to just be um, and be the scientist that I am and contribute to the work. I will say that in past positions, um, one of the things that I would probably say that I experienced is being a Black woman. I'm expected to do more. So I'm not only expected to do my job, but I'm expected to um, answer the call of how Black people should be in the space. And then every time a person of color comes on, I'm expected to mentor that person Mm -hmm. to show them the ropes. Um, And this is what I will say, that we have an opportunity. um, We have an opportunity to mentor. Mm -hmm. But just because my employer thinks that I should be the face of, I don't have to accept Sure. You bet. Yeah. So I think it's really, what I have been able to do is say, I really think that that's nice that you think that that's my role, but I'm letting you know that that is not my role here. Wow. So Um, you've had to set boundaries like that. Yes. Uh Yes. I have had to set boundaries and I think it's very important, um, for people, even if you're not empowered to set that boundary, that you set the boundary, because then what will happen is they'll say, oh, you know, she set boundaries over there. Mm-hmm. We, we have to feel free to set those boundaries, because I think what happens is if we don't and all of that is kind of put on us, it just becomes a burden. Sure. Like, I, I don't want to. Yes. I mean, there there are many times where I am the dot in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that I belong in the room. Uh I'm very clear about my role in the room Uh and I do just that. And I don't offer anything else that I don't feel I should have to offer Uh in the room. Wow. That, that's Mm -hmm. really interesting. What I, what I like about what you're saying, Dr. Chester, is that you feel in charge of your own voice. Yes. And how you use it. Because yes. oftentimes, I think what can happen, particularly if people end up experiencing race-based stress, is that people are responding to every racial provocator or every yes. discriminatory issue or practice in white spaces. And mm-hmm. sometimes you just need not to say anything and just leave it yes. be. And, and silence also is powerful. Uh, and yes. so, I, so I think that that's really, really important um, for people to remember that they are in charge of their own voice, and that is a sign of strength. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, speaking of one of the things that you just um, said about um, every little, you know, we're in spaces, and a lot of times we want to say, "Oh, I think that was racist. Mm-hmm. I think I got to react to that." Maybe I need to say something. I have always said that there are certain things that I respond to and there are other things that I don't respond mm-hmm. to because it's not about I, I'm I'm responding um, for things that are important for me. Yes. Yes. And so so you can't because what 
my um, I have a mentor that told me, she said, don't get distracted by the dumb stuff. You on a mission. So you need to know that you're on a mission and what you're trying to get to. And you need to not be distracted by some of that small stuff, because a lot of times people will interest. Sometimes people will see you and they like, "Uh oh, she looked like she going to the top. Uh oh, I think we better we better do this and do this and do this so that she can get distracted. I'm not getting distracted by any of that. So Toni Morrison, there's actually a Toni Morrison quote, and I'm I'm not gonna gonna get it right, but it goes something like racism is a distraction, and that you hit one bar and then there's another, and you hit one bar that bar and then there's another, and so I, I resonate with what you're saying. So so the two things in my head, um, Carol Gilligan, who is a prominent uh, white female feminist scholar, um, wrote a book called In a Different Voice, and Part of the premise was that um, women, white women, is what she was writing about, use weakness as a strength. And whether that's crying or um, threatening, that they're being threatened by a black man while they're walking their dog or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, that 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 there are the damsel in distress notion um, and we're not necessarily socialized that way. And I guess I'm wondering if you could respond to that and how that plays out for you in white spaces. It, it plays out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been in situations and I actually had another mentor that I said, you know, every time I talk to this person, they start crying. And so she gave me some really good words of wisdom. She said, I'm not I'm not participating. And so I said, so what do you do? She said, um, I give them a box of tissue. Yeah. I leave my, I let them know that I'll be back in a few minutes so that they can get themselves together. Mm-hmm. I leave my office. I come back in 10 minutes and we continue our conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has worked for mm-hmm. me because I have done mm-hmm. that. Um, I think that what I, as a black woman, um, that's not part of who I sure. am. I'm, I'm not going to do that. And so I'm not going to deal with that either. Um, and, you know, some people might say, oh, that's that's so cruel. No, we're adults at work and you're pulling tears so that you don't have to do what I am asking you to do, What it, that is part of your job. So that is how we will do this is I will let you get yourself together and then when I come back, we'll have our conversation like two adults in the work environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think as um, as a woman of color, I have seen that a lot in the work environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that I now know how to confront it. And it's like we just you just got to shut it down. You know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. um, play that game. Sure. Someone else may be okay with participating, but I'm not participating. Was that white woman crying in other spaces as well, or just when you were giving her feedback? Um, j- just when I was giving her feedback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the mentor, it was just when she was given um, feedback. So it would not be in a large meeting or anything like mm-hmm. that. Which is helpful. Yeah. Has it happened to you in a large meeting? No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
No, just just face to face. That's good. That's, that's good. <laughs> yes. So, so my my question is that 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 oftentimes and not all white women and not all the time, but it certainly is is um is a part of what can happen. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, do you feel like you have that kind of privilege to cry in the workplace, or do you? Or what are your thoughts about that? So, you know, I don't feel like I have that kind of privilege. I think that, you know, and I can only say, I think what may happen because I have never. um, But I think that if I were to be in front of a supervisor and they asked me to do something that was my job, um, and I started crying. I think that the reaction to it would be very different. Say more. I'm not sure. So I, I think that after that happened, then after that, it would be like, she was crying in my office. I didn't know what to do. I think that's so unprofessional. Sure. So I, I think that if I do that in a work setting with a superior I think that it definitely might be looked upon as unprofessional. And I and I will say that that really is, it really would be based on the relationship. So if it was a supervisor that I had a relationship with, um, and, I, and it's not to say that I don't think that we can cry in spaces like that. You know, if it was a supervisor and, you know, like I had a loved one that passed away and I... Sure was crying it it would be very different but if it was just well I think I'll just cry because I really don't want to do this and let me see how that works sure. for me. I think for me it would be considered unprofessional mm-hmm. so have you ever wanted to cry in in white spaces? oh yes and have you in front of people not in front of people yeah I I have I have wanted to cry I have wanted to scream cry have a tantrum, but I do know that it, you know, for me, it would be seen very different. Well, and I um, I think that that's part of the strong black woman piece of that, that this notion of um, crying like that is not, is frowned upon, if you will. Yeah. In white space. And you know, yes. And you know, it's funny because, you know, um, we always say, you better. You don't want to see me cry because you don't want to see what's coming next. So because you know it's that kind of thing. Like I'm so mad, I'm crying. This is not good. So you know, I think in in those instances, I, you know, I don't know what's gonna come after the crying if I start crying up in here. Because if y'all really made me mad, it might not be good. So you know, I think for me, um, it has been go back to my office and just I have been just so fortunate to have just good colleagues mm-hmm. where, you know, at my last position where you would get so mad at a meeting, you be in your office, you might cry. Yeah. I, you know, I really don't think that I have the liberty or the freedom to do that. The times that I have seen it done is when someone really just doesn't want to do something that's part of their job. I think that if I were at work and a supervisor asked me to perform a task that was part of my job and I started crying, I really think that I would be looked upon like, oh my gosh, you know, what is going on? And I don't, I think that it would just be like, she's very unprofessional 
Can you believe that she was crying when I asked her to do X, Y, and Z? And I will say that I have been in situations where I don't feel like that has been the sentiment when someone that does not look like me has done the same thing. Sure. I think that they are giving graces like, oh, but she was so stressed and there's so much going on. And I'm like, we're all adults. And like I used to tell my nephew, use your words. Right. And so, you know, I feel like you should use your words Mm -hmm. and not default to crying. Sure. It's interesting because my own experience has been that um, because we are less likely to show vulnerability, that sometimes, and and, and that's part of the strong black woman piece, of course, Mm -hmm. that sometimes it can lead to support deprivation. And I'm wondering how much of that has been your experience. So it has not been my experience because I think for me, I have been in um, spaces where I am able to show vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, the way that I show vulnerability is that I say it, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and I think because of that, I have been in a situation where I have gotten support. So I I think it's, um, you know, if you're in a work situation and, you know, you're having a conversation or you're feeling overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. and I have said, I feel overwhelmed by this project. Mm -hmm. So, but I think that because I'm able to express that without that being tied to whether I can do the job or not, Mm. then I am offered support. Because I think what happens is in this whole strong Black woman narrative, we think that we can't be vulnerable and we can't say this is too much. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. we have to have, and and one of the things that I have really tried to do is offer that to my colleagues. Just say you can't do it if you can't do it, because then we can get you support. So I think that um, it's not really about crying, but it's about being able to show vulnerability mm-hmm. and then also being able to um, get the support when you are. So I actually feel very comfortable um, showing vulnerability in a workplace. And, and it, it has... Go ahead. No, no, no. You please. And it has led to me getting the support I need. Well, and I, I think it's, it's an interesting thing because I, I, I think there's a risk reward, um, um, dynamic with this in our, our resident reticence around showing vulnerability, then can lead to support deprivation and not being supported in the same way as some of our colleagues who are part of the majority culture. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you are a public health official person. Yes. I guess I'm wondering what your thoughts are about the strong Black woman narrative schema dynamic on people's health. And if you have thoughts about that. Yeah. You know, um, I will say I have many friends that um, are are caught up in the strong black woman Uh and their blood pressure is high Uh and the hair is falling out. Uh Um, And so I have really been a person that has um, kind of been able to step back. Um, I had two times where 
my hair was falling out. Mm. And I was like, okay, so this is not good for me, the whole person. And I really had to step back and say, are you doing too much? Um, Are you stressed um, at work? Um, And I think what happens is we have to be able to kind of step back and say, what is it that's going on? Because if you're a woman and your hair is falling out and, you know, um, you're becoming overweight, which I have had that problem. I'm like, what is going on with this belly? It's a stress belly. Uh Um, Uh You know, you really have to be able to look back and you have to be able to care for yourself. And so I think I'm very fortunate to be in an environment, you know, when you're in the federal government, you can, it's easy to reach out for help and um, your supervisor not know that you reached out for help Mm -hmm. because they're, you know, there are places that you can reach out for help and it won't be discussed with your supervisor. There's a whole process to make sure that you get the support and help that you need. Mm -hmm. So, So I think what happens is um, I I just try to make sure that I don't equate being a strong black woman to um, not taking care of my health um, and allowing those ill effects of the stress Mm -hmm. to damage my health. Mm -hmm. But it it takes time to get to that point. You know, you know, I, I look at 10 years ago, would I be saying this? No, I was working too hard trying to prove myself and trying to you know, get the next promotion to do the next thing that I wanted to do. Um, And I feel more comfortable now um, that I can, you know, recognize that this is what's going on. You are experiencing stress. And if you don't stop you, something really bad is going to happen. So it seems like it's been a journey for you then to move from some of the strong black woman pieces to a more kind of balance, being a woman of strength, um, place? It has been a journey. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and even though I I talk about the fact that in the beginning, I felt like I had all the parts, you know, I got that from my mom. Um, There were still times where I moved through life and thought that I had to take on everything Mm -hmm. um, and that I had to be everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's, it's age, it's wisdom, it's experiencing things. Um, you know, you get to the point where I feel like, man, I'm 50 years old. I'm a grown woman. I don't have to play this game. (laughs) So, you know, I think, I think in time, um, there are women that will realize it and they will get to the place that they need to be. What was the tipping point for you, Deidre, around thinking I need to do something different here? I think the tipping point was I was in a situation at work where I was working very hard Uh and I was trying to prove myself. So unpack working very hard. So taking two weeks off from work, but for 40 of those hours, checking emails and making sure that my programs were still intact because I wasn't physically in the office. I'm like, did you take 80 hours off, but then you work 40 hours? but you didn't get credit for working those 40 hours, um, taking on, um, you know, every assignment, extra assignments. Um, I was in that space because I was, um, going up for promotion and really to have, you know, um, administrators around me say, you not doing enough. Mm -hmm. Who were not my supervisor because my supervisor was very clear that I was doing more than enough. Uh-huh. 
Um, and my supervisor is the one that said to me, this is what I've been trying to tell you. You're doing X, Y, and Z. You're doing all of this. And at the end of the day, they still going to say whatever. So what I need you to do is sit back, relax, know that you got this and not work so hard. And that was very, you know, wow. it was just like, I was like, wow. And, and you know, my supervisor looked like me, mm-hmm. um, was very supportive of me. And um, it was really the tipping point mm. because I think after that is when I started going on vacation and really being on vacation. I wasn't checking in to see if stuff done. I said, okay, I'm leaving this in capable hands. Y'all got to get it together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that was really the tipping point because mm. I realized that, oh my gosh, I'm doing all this stuff. Everybody see me doing all this stuff and I know I'm doing a good job. And to still have someone to say, you ain't doing enough. Mm. And so that was the tipping point. And I will say that um, from that day on, that was probably like um, probably a good seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. It's been easy peasy since. That's fascinating. That yeah. that that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what I appreciate about it is that there was somebody from the outside to say, "Yeah," and I and I think that lots of people don't move from that grind. Um, in, in the way that you were talking about it earlier yeah. to being in a place of, no, I think that we're going to do this differently, that we're going to take the meat and leave the bones. Right. Mm-hmm. And because yes. I think that there's something to be said for, I think there are things about the strong black woman um, narrative and socialization for uh, black girls that is useful and, mm-hmm. Um, and can buoy you to success and um, living your dreams and those kinds of things. And yes. so um, I, I think it's important to recognize that as well. Yes. Yep. Yep. Are there, is there anything you want to add about things that you feel like about the strong black woman narrative that has buoyed you that you haven't said already? Um. Yes. You know, I, I would say that one of the things that, have really buoyed me is, you know, even though I think getting the strong black woman definition straight in my head mm. has really has really been good for me. So That's not taking, really good. Yes, not taking someone else's definition of it because you can have 10 black women stand up and you can say, what is your idea of a strong black woman? And it can all be different. So, so, so Deidre, let me just interrupt you for a minute. Mm-hmm. So what was it for you when you, before you were in the place that you are in now, um, let's say 10, 15 years ago, what was it for you? So I think for me, it was, I got to work hard. I got to prove myself. I got to, you know, fit in. I have to speak up in the room. I have to, you know, it, it was all of these things that I thought I had to do to prove that I was a strong black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like at a fever pitch, but it was probably about here. Like there are some things that, that you really got to do to prove. And then I think that what has happened for me is that over the years, that bar has lowered and lowered and lowered because at the end of the day, what I realized is that 
a lot of the stuff that I had on the shelf that was the rubric for being a strong black woman wasn't really that important mm. it, or it wasn't important to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what that's where we have to be at the end of the day. What is important to you? So I can I um, I can be who I am and recognize that that is a strong black woman mm. um, without allowing someone else to take what they believe a strong black woman to be and kind of layer that on me. Because I can say that's your definition. That's fine. But what I feel it is, is spending time with my family, mm-hmm. being at my nephew's seven, seventh birthday party. Mm-hmm. Being there for my best friend, if she calls and says, I need you right away, getting on a plane. To me, that's what it is. And um, or being in my community um, or mentoring young people so that they can avoid some of the pitfalls that I've avoid I've avoided mm-hmm. or I have already um, done mm-hmm. and um, giving them wisdom so that they don't have to fall into those same things. So those are all of the things that I feel like being a strong black woman is. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So what advice would you give? And maybe you have already. I think you have. So I was going to say, what advice would you give young people who are struggling with this narrative of how to shift it to work for them, how to take the meat and leave the bones? Yeah, I think the one thing that I would say to young people is to know who you are, Mm -hmm. know why you are here, Mm -hmm. know what your purpose in life is, Mm -hmm. and really do that. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, that's what it is. And do you have thoughts about how people can know who they are and know what their purpose is? You know... I have been fortunate in that all of the years that I've been in my work life, it has been a joy. Mm-hmm. I have truly enjoyed um, what I've been doing. And, you know, if I look back, I wouldn't have told you that I was going to get a PhD in nutrition and I was sure. going to work for the federal government and it was going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have said that, you know. So I think um, knowing who you are, know what, know what gives you joy, Mm. Um, know what makes you happy, Uh Um, know how you want to contribute to the society that you live in. Um, You know, one of the things I remember um, about a year and a half ago, my agency was being moved to Kansas city and, you know, people had a myriad of reasons of why they didn't want to move. My main motivation of why I didn't want to move is because I was like, there are elderly people in my neighborhood that depend on me. Mm. They Mm. don't have cars. And they say, can you pick this up from the grocery store? Or can you take me to this place? That is a part of who I am. Mm. And so it wasn't, that was the number one thing is that I love my neighborhood and I love my neighbors and I like supporting the people in my neighborhood. Uh And so to me, that is part of my purpose. And so knowing that that's part of my purpose you know, that is all of the stuff that allows me to know exactly who I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Very, very cool. So what's the one piece of advice that you would give white people in making spaces or places or science more inclusive for people of color? So 
You know, I think about this sometimes. I happen to have been in situations where I feel like there are white people who are doing this. Like Mm -hmm. they are actively participating in making sure that there's diversity. Now, I've also been in spaces where it has not been that way. Um, So the one piece of advice that I would say is when there is a person of color that is um, working in a space with you, don't just look at that person as, okay, we're going to ask Deirdre to speak on everything that relates to Black people, but really try to get an understanding of what it is to be me in this space. Mm -hmm. And then don't make comments like, oh, well, we can't find any Black scientists because I know a whole lot of them. So be open to using me as a resource and using me as a resource to connect you with hiring the qualified scientists in this space. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that's it, because I think um, in some ways we're relied upon in this way, but we're not relied upon to connect you to the talent that is needed in the space. Well, that's interesting because I think maybe relied upon to do the grunt work, but not the power work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very good. Yes. I would, I would definitely agree with that. So yes, just making sure I love that, that you rely upon us for the power work also. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that I did not ask you that you thought that I would, that you would like to share? No, I thought this was great. Was really I have good. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Very good. So let me let me share this because I think that uh, I am I am thrilled um, about your journey, Deidre, and how you've been able to walk through this whole thing about being a strong black woman, um, even developmentally. And I think that there are a couple other things that I would like to add about ways to really try to mitigate and um, negotiate this in your own head and in your environment. And so you talk about the importance of setting boundaries. I really think that there's something to be said for that. And we can start to practice that in our families before we take it into, or in our personal relationships before we take it into the workplace. I do believe that you had your mom and you have girlfriends and sisters and all of that of of people who could take the journey with you. I don't think that any of us are meant to be an island and that we really are meant to bear one another's burdens. And and, and I, I do know that not everybody in your life can take the journey with you and be an encouragement and be able to support you. But there is one person in your life. Who can? I, and I and I just know I'm just confident of that. I also think that it's important to deal with the origin as well. And what I mean by that is like, what is it about for you? Do you not do you do you have imposter syndrome? Are you struggling with that, or do you not feel worthy, or um, like just really dealing with what it's about for you? And certainly, there's a system that is racist, and so there are things that are coming at you. Um, And that what are the parts of this that you can take responsibility for yourself? And then I also think it's important to expose vulnerability. You talked about that so eloquently earlier. Uh, But but to be able to discern when you can and when you cannot. And um, part of the discernment process could just be testing the waters with something small. 
and seeing what happens. And we do that, Black people, we do that all the time, that that we are consistently kind of testing the waters to see, is this white person going to be cool about this or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the and the last thing that I would add is that none of us were brought to the world with everything that we needed to live our lives, and that it's really important to acknowledge the need in our own lives, and to um, and to and to do things to try to meet those needs, but know that you know none of us are. Um, completely self-sufficient that mm-hmm. we are meant to live independent interdependently and not necessarily independent that that whole notion of independence is a dominant narrative white people schema that doesn't always work for us and so i think that we as a culture history historically have been very collectivist and um, you talked about your own mentors and people yes. in your life and um and i think that 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 we need to go back to that that there's something yes. Um, about that, that will help take us to the next place. But anyway, I just wanted to thank Dr. Chester for joining us. This was a great, great, great conversation. And tune in next time. Thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. This episode was edited by Caroline Bone. Special thanks to our podcast intern, Amanda Gillette. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by davisdeliciousdelights.com. davisdeliciousdelights.com, custom-made personalized pastries, cakes, pies, and cookies made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davisdeliciousdelights.com and use the coupon code BEINGTHEDOT for 20% off orders of $35.99 or more.